it's not often that Valentine's Day itself falls on a Sunday. I'm not somebody that thinks that churches should go all out for Valentine's Day. It is I don't care if they do. I'm not thinking. I'm not, it's not a sin, but it's not Christmas or Easter. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I mean, we've got our nice little single heart up there. So, and uh, two hearts, sorry. I wasn't in here when that one got put up, so I wasn't aware of it. I'm wearing my pink shirt today, you know. But seeing as how it does fall on a Sunday this year, I figured we should at least talk about love. Um, and the biblical definition of love, we are going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know it's cliche, it's the love chapter. Um, but that just means that we often miss a lot of stuff in it because we're too busy being cliche about things. But before we jump into that, I do want to spend a couple of minutes just talking a little bit about what I mentioned during communion. There are many things that it says God does in Scripture. He pours out mercy. He pours out wrath. He pours out grace. He pours out justice. There are very few things in Scripture that it says God is that thing. We know that he's loving. We know that he's kind. We know that he does these things. But love is one of the few things in the whole of Scripture that it says God is this. Make no mistake, love does not exist without God. And no one can love without knowing God. We're going to talk a little bit during the rest of the sermon, the meat of the sermon, if you will, about this idea. But what the world defines as love, we can better define as infatuation or lust. And I'm not just talking about sexual sin. We oftentimes equate lust with sex. That's not necessarily the case. Lust is just a strong desire for it. Now, in Scripture, most of the time, it is talking about something sexual. And most of the time in our world, again, when we say lust, we're talking about sex. But you can lust after a sports team. It does not mean you want to have sex with the sports team. Okay? It means you have a strong desire to watch them and have them be a part, and be a part of that. Okay? So what the world defines as love is better defined scripturally as an infatuation or a lust. It's a feeling. And what we're going to talk about a lot today is that love is in no way a feeling. You do not fall in love. It is a choice that you make. You fall into infatuation. Don't misunderstand me. You should have strong feelings for your significant other. But to say, oh, I fell in love with them. No, you fell in infatuation with them. Do you love them by your actions and your choices? And the only way you can truly love somebody is if you know the one that is love. With that in mind, let's hop into 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to read the whole chapter today, verses 1 through 13. Let's read it, shall we? 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. 
is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I have been fully known. But now faith, hope, and love abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's dive into it. Number one on your note sheets there. Deeds without love. Deeds without love. Love. Before we talk about these verses, I do want to talk just for a minute about the context of where we're at. Paul has just finished chapter 12, in which he talks a lot about the spiritual gifts. One of the big issues with the church in Corinth was understanding spiritual gifts and this jealousy that went about about spiritual gifts. Corinth had this idea that the sign gifts, the flashy gifts, those of tongues and healings and miracles were the best gifts because they were the most out there, right? And Paul says in the endings of verse 12, no, actually the greater gifts are the gifts of like teaching and knowledge and wisdom and prophecy. The gifts that are used to edify the church, they're all used to edify the church, but in a more direct way. And he says, seek ye the greater gifts. Or in verse 31, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. So he does not deny there are gifts that are greater than others. But he talks about in that chapter, you've got it flipped about what is greater. But then in the second half of verse 31, he, so, he says, and I will show you a more excellent way. What Paul is saying here throughout the rest of this chapter in 13 is this. It does not matter what you can do. It does not matter what you have. If you are not loving, you're nothing. Love is far more important than any spiritual gift, than any resource, than any talent, than anything. Love is the most important thing. And that's the context that we find this in. And that's why he begins in chapter 13 by saying, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I speak in tongues. But do not have love, I become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. What comes out of your mouth needs to be filtered through love. Many of us, and I'm not just calling you out, I stand here as well. Many of us don't have the best of filters. Or the filter that we do have is so old that everything just kind of goes through it. The holes are now this big in it. So it doesn't matter, it just comes out. What Paul says is, replace that filter with the filter of love. If it is not loving, don't say it. I don't care how true it might be. And if you are not loving when you say it, don't say it. I don't care how true it might be. One of my favorite stories in scripture is the story of the woman at the well. I keep bringing it up. I told my mom, one day I'll come across something that this story doesn't work for. I haven't found it yet. And in the story, right, we see Jesus as he's talking to this woman, and he does not mince words with her. He says, you're thirsty. You've had six husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband, i.e., you're a prostitute. He does not hide her sin. He does not go, well, it's okay. 
It's okay. I know, it's okay. What he does is, you sin. And this is your sin. But let me show you how you don't have to be in sin anymore. And Jesus does it with love, which completely changes the course of her life. Here's the thing. I would wager that if just about any of us in this room or in Christianity as a whole, we're having this conversation with her, she would have gone back to the town in tears, not of joy, but of despair. But Jesus talks to her, and because he has love that pours out through every word he says, her entire life is changed. And that's what Paul is saying here. Speak love with everything you do. Speak truth, but speak love. Because it doesn't matter what is said. It could be the most true thing in the world. If you don't have love behind it, it's just like a gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just noise. And it's an annoying noise. And then he continues on in verse 2. If I have the gifts of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge and I have all faith so as to remove mountains. Man, that sounds great, doesn't it? But do not have love, I am nothing. Use your spiritual gifts with love. I've taken a myriad of different spiritual gift tests in my life. They've all come back generally the same. I have a good understanding of where my spiritual gifting lies. I've always been a prophet. I can't see the future. That's not what prophet means. What was the role of a prophet in scripture? They went and said the hard things to people that didn't want to hear it. That's the role of a prophet. It's different than a teacher. I've never been a teacher. That's not my spiritual gifting. Now, it doesn't mean I can't teach. But some people are just gifted at teaching. That was never my strong suit. I also have wisdom. Wisdom means you're better at discerning scripture. You're better at discerning the will of God. Not perfect. And I don't know everything. As much as I might think that I do sometimes. And then my third one, which was always surprising to me that it came up this way, was exhortation. I'm a good encourager. I don't encourage people. But it's part of leadership to, stro to, to push people on to new and better things. I know where my spiritual giftings lie, but here's the thing. If I come before you and I pound on this podium and I'm screaming scripture at you, but I have no love in my heart for you, it doesn't matter. And if I read this entire book and I discerned everything that was the will of God from it, but I don't love the people that I'm around, it doesn't matter. And I could spew encouragement out of my mouth to people, but if I don't actually love them, then they're not encouraged. Use your gifts with love. Because without love, your gifts are useless. I don't care which one it is. It's useless without love. And then just to make it clear, he goes on in verse 3, and he goes, And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Pastor, how can you give of yourself completely and have it be nothing? Because if you're not loving, if you're a martyr who is martyred for the sake of being martyred, or so that you get the recognition, you've done nothing. You could write the biggest check in the world. You could say... I just won the lottery, $400 million or whatever it's at now, who knows. And of the 200 or so million that I get after they take the taxes out, I'm going to write that check to the church and it's going to be the entire thing. Great. If you do that, thank you very much. I'm not going to say we don't want it. I might ask you why you're gambling, but we'll, we'll cross that bridge after you've signed the check. 
But you can do that, but if you don't love, then it doesn't mean anything. I'm not saying God won't use those things still to further his kingdom, but you have accomplished nothing. Love is the most important thing. It's more important than your words. It's more important than your gifts. It's more important than yourself, your resources, your time, your money, your physical body. And then in the following verses here, verses 4 through uh, part of 8, he gives us the definition. So number one was deeds without love. Number two here, the definition. Paul gives us the quintessential definition of love in all of Scripture. I'm not going to break down what each thing means, because we would be here for a very long time. But I want to point out a few different things. First off, I'd like to point out how bad we all are at this definition. There are 15 things lifted, listed here. Love is patient, love is kind, it is not jealous, does not brag, is not arrogant, is not unbecomingly, does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. I count that as one. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. 15. Now I walked through this, and I'll do it with you now. As an example of me. Love is patient. Nope. Love is kind. Uh-uh. Is not jealous. Nope. Does not brag. We still haven't got one. Is not arrogant. Nope. So verse 4, we're out. Does not act unbecomingly. I think I do that. I'll give myself that one. Does not seek its own. Nope. Is not provoked. That's funny. Does not take into account a wrong suffered. I give myself the full point there, but it's probably more of a half point does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Yeah, I, I do that. Bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, love never fails. So I'm at three, and if I'm going to be more accurate, two and a half. And if you walked through that, you might be more than me, but I doubt you're half. I just found out now that I guess like 65 is a passing grade in school. I think everybody here would fail the love test. I know I do. I've got less than a 33%. That's the lowest grade I've ever gotten on anything. We are bad at loving. We're horrid at it. And it all stems from the fall. You see, the opposites of all those things are sin. And we all fail at it. There aren't, I'm not going to say there aren't times that I'm kind to people. But that's not a word you'd use to describe me. I'm not saying there aren't times that I'm not patient, but I'm not good at being patient. I'm not saying there aren't times when we are those things, but as a whole, do we fulfill the definition of love? Not very often. The other thing I want to point out about this definition is that it flies directly in the face of the world. I mentioned this at the top. The world says love is a feeling. The Bible says love is a choice. Read through that definition again and tell me which ones you don't have the choice to do or not to do. You won't find one. None of them are feelings. Because it doesn't matter if you don't feel patient, you still have the choice to be or not to be. Let's bring that into the real world. I love my wife. We've been married seven months yesterday. Seven months yesterday. Tuesday, Friday. Because it was the 12th. So Friday. I passed test number one. I love my wife to death. I have very strong feelings of affection towards my wife. I think she does towards me. But still, there are moments 
where I go, dear God, I can't stand this woman right now. And I know for a fact there are times when she can't stand me. And I know that because I look at her and I go, I'm sorry I'm being annoying. And she goes, it's okay. There are times when the feelings aren't all lovey-dovey and, oh my gosh, you're so nice, you're so great, I love you. You, most of you that are married, all of you that are married in here have been married far longer than I have, so I know you recognize that fact, but that doesn't change the fact that I still love her because it's a choice that I make to love her or not to. You do not fall in and out of love. You fall in and out of infatuation. You choose to love somebody. I choose to be kind. Sometimes I fail at it. I choose to be patient. A lot of the times I fail at it. You choose to be these different things. And as we sit here on Valentine's Day and the world goes love, 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 it's this feeling, you know, and I'm not saying don't go out on a Valentine's Day. I'm not trying to, to downplay the feelings that are associated with love. What I'm saying is, Loving is not a feeling. It's a choice you continuously make. If it was based upon your feelings, God couldn't command you to love people because you have a choice to do it. And then I want to take a quick minute and look at the last couple of things that it says. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. Love is the single most enduring thing in all of creation. Let's talk about it. So number one was the deeds, deeds without love. Number two is the definition. Number three, the supremacy of love. The supremacy of love. Paul spends these next verses and he talks about in the future. And he says, listen, eventually prophecy will go away. Tongues, they'll cease. Knowledge, it will be done away with. I think knowledge has been done away with for a long time, but you know, whatever. Not the spiritual gift of knowledge, which is what it's talking about here. This verse is often used by people who are proponents of tongues not being in use anymore to say, look, see, the Bible, it says they'll cease. And my response always is, okay, did prophecy cease? Did knowledge cease? Because in this verse, it says they all cease at the same time. So if one ceased, they all did. Now, I'm not saying whether or not it ceased or not. That's not today's sermon. I am saying, though, that what Paul is getting at here is, listen, eventually you will have no need for prophets that come and speak hard truths because there won't be people that are breaking them. Eventually you won't need people that speak in tongues, whether it be a heavenly language or another earthly language, right? However you believe the gifting of tongues works because we'll all be speaking the same language. And eventually you won't need knowledge of the scriptures because the scriptures will be standing before you. And then we jump down to verse 13 and he says, faith, hope, and love abide these three. These are the three most important things. But the greatest of these is love. Why? Because hope and faith are no longer needed when the partial is done away and we see in full. You don't need hope and faith in Christ when he's standing before you. You'll still have love though. You see, if I am hoping for pizza, I don't have it in front of me yet. If I have a slice of pizza in my hand and I'm eating it, I don't have hope that I'm going to have pizza anymore. My hope has been realized. And it's the same thing with Christ. Right now, I have hope 
that I'll see him one day. I have faith that I will see him one day based upon his love for me and what he did. One day when I do see him, I won't hope. I won't need faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the belief in things unseen. We read that in Hebrews. If we can see it, you don't need faith anymore. But you will still have love. Love endures throughout eternity. And so Paul says, if you have to choose something, choose to love. Choose to love people. Choose to love the messy people. Choose to love the clean people. Choose to love the people that put on the facade that they're all put together. And choose to love the people that don't give a rip what you think about them. Choose to love. You notice nowhere in here does it say that it's easy to do. In fact, love is the hardest thing we are commanded to do. You might say, Pastor, wouldn't it be forgiveness? If you're loving somebody, you'll forgive them. So it starts with love. Anything you could ask me, it comes back to love. Do you love the person or not? I'm not asking, do you have a romantic sort of love? There are many different words for love in the Greek Koine language. This is not talking about eros, an erotic sort of love. You should have that for your husband or wife. This is talking more about a philos sort of love or a um, agape love, a brotherly love, a love that is a bond. Now, you should also have those things for your significant other, but you should have that with everyone you meet. And it doesn't matter if they're loving you back. One of the key things that we read in scripture is it never says it's dependent upon what somebody else does. You do what you are supposed to do and you leave the rest up to them. Love one another. It's Valentine's Day. So if you have a significant other, love on them. But make sure that you're sharing Christ's love. The love that he gives to us with everyone. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning. We praise you that we as a body can love each other and that we can love those that aren't part of the body. Father, I ask that you would help us with this definition of love that is so countercultural. It flies in the face of everything that we want to do, everything that comes natural to us. But Father, I'm just asking that you would grant us the strength to do it and grant us forgiveness in those times when we don't. Help us to speak and to act in love. And Father, it's in the name of your Son that we pray. Amen and amen.